Okay, thanks everybody, and thanks, uh, thanks Amy. Welcome everybody, it's good to see you all. Um, and, and by the way, th- thank you everybody that's watching online. Um, by the way, this is our mass service, so thank you for, for masking up for this. Um, for those who are online, we decided it's probably easiest for them to be able to see the person's face when they're speaking, they can hear better, so I'll take this off. Um, I, I am vaxxed and boosted, and my grandma prays for me every day, and I've had it, and, and so anyway, um, I think I'm as, I don't know, I'm as whatever as I can be, so. <laughs> but I'll do that so people online can, uh, can hear me a little bit better. Well, hey, um, good morning. My name is Nick, one of the pastors here, excited to open God's Word and talk with you guys about that. So uh, as we get started, do, do me a favor. I want you to think back to your time in high school or college, whichever, whichever place you want to go. Think back to high school or college, and what was that experience like? What would you describe that as? Uh, most people, when I ask them about high school or college, they, they come up with one of three words that they use to describe that experience. You know, college was, it was stressful. We had these tests, and I had these exams, and everything was riding on it, and I couldn't get a job if I, you know, it was, it was, it was stressful. They were super stressed. Uh, there's another group of people who say college was so much fun. It was off the hook. You know, it was so much. I, I, I slept in, and then I stayed up late, and, you know, it was awesome. So it was, it was, it was stressful. It was fun. There's a third camp of people who tell me, you know, college was so boring. It was incredibly boring. I dropped out because I could get a job without it anyway. So I didn't need, I didn't need to sit in class for four years, and it was very boring. So I don't know, what was your, what was your experience? Was it, maybe it was something else, or maybe it was a mix of, of all three, but was it stressful? Was it fun? Was it boring? For me, it was a mix of all these things, but I would say I most lean in the, in the stressful camp. School was stressful, not because of the academics per se, not because there were all these people and I had to share a room with three other guys or anything. That was stressful, I guess, but it was mostly stressful because if I had to describe my college experience in just a couple of words, I would say this, college was religious boot camp. College was training for religious boot camp, training to be religious and to follow all of the rules. And you may think that I'm using hyperbole. I assure you, I am not using hyperbole. I'm toning this down a little bit. College was stressful. It was religious boot camp. Uh, my morning and, and, and everybody else in the college, our morning started with us getting up at, uh, at, as soon as, well, actually before the sun comes up. We would get up dark and early in the morning and you had to you know, go ahead and, and read your Bible and pray and stuff and then get showered, get shaped. Get, excuse me, get shaved, make your bed and everything because somewhere around 7.30, 7.45, a dormitory supervisor is gonna come through your room and he's gonna make sure the bed is made. He's gonna make sure the, the carpet is vacuumed and, and none of this walk around and just pick up the fur balls things. No, you gotta actually get a, a mechanical vacuum and vacuum your floor and, and have a check. There's a literal checklist on the back of your door that had all these chores every single morning. He's gonna check the bathroom. He's gonna open the closet. You can't have clothes stuffed in. They gotta be hung up. And if you had not done these things by 7.30, 7.45, you would be punished. You would get a demerit slip in your mailbox. And after so many of those, you know, there were different layers of, you know, a letter to your parents or, you know, whatever. There were different, different uh, levels of, of punishment. And then after you've eaten breakfast, after you've gone to your first class, you will go to chapel every day. I, when I say every day, I mean Saturday and I mean Sunday. I mean, every single day you are required. And again, another one of the dean of men's henchmen is going to come through the dorm on Saturday morning at 9 a.m., and nobody should be in their beds. Everybody's bed should be made, and you should be at the chapel thing. You should be at the required church service. You should, you should be at this place. And by the way, as you exit chapel at the end of your day, you've scanned your badge, right, because you've got to be on time or else you get the demerit slip. 
And then as you are walking up the doors, there will be staff positioned at the exit doors to make sure all the men have shaved their face, their tie is put up. You know, this doesn't fly. This nonsense that I'm doing, that doesn't fly, right? You better be buttoned and tied up all the way. The women, your, your skirts better be low enough, blouse is high enough. I mean, and they were checking these things as you went. I haven't gotten to lunch yet, but I'll stop, okay? I'm not using hyperbole. And this is what was communicated to me, even though it may have not been audibly communicated. It was communicated psychologically, I still twitch now, that purity is the highest value. Purity, religious purity, is the most important thing. Stay pure, stay clean, stay sanitary, and stay away from those who are not clean and pure and sanitary. Purity is the highest, most important value here, and you will learn it. And after four years, I drank the Kool-Aid, okay? <laughs> so if you've ever been in a culture like that, you, you, a lot of times you, you don't even think twice about it. You just kind of get roped into it. And I am ashamed to tell you, by, by year three, I had been asked to become a dormitory supervisor. I was the guy going through your room to make sure you fixed your bed and everything. I was positioned outside of doors saying, tuck your shirt in before you enter. Are you getting on the elevator? Oh, we can't have a guy and a girl on the elevator. We got to mix it up or you got to, like, I was that guy. I walked up to people and said, excuse me, your elbows are bunching. You need to scoot over so Jesus can fit in between you. I was, like, I was that guy. I drank the Kool-Aid. I'm ashamed to tell you I'm, th- I'm 13 years in remission. But I, I became that guy because this kind of culture, this, this legalistic culture just kind of sucks you in and you don't think about it. And yeah, I got to stay pure. I got to, if, if, if I make God mad, you know, I'm, just, you just get roped into it. I'm just curious, have any of you ever been in, maybe not that intense, but have you ever been in some kind of environment like that? Maybe, maybe you grew up in a church where purity was the most important thing, or, or you were in some kind of religious circle, like a, a campus ministry or, or something like that, where it, was, it felt like religious boot camp. You were sucked into some kind of legalistic group, or, or you grew up in a, in, a, in a family where following the rules was, was the way to make God happy, and if you don't follow the rules, then God is very angry with you, and you can, you can pretty accurately measure your spiritual progress by how many chapters you've read, and how, many, uh, how worn out your, the knees of your jeans are, and ha- how many Sundays have you gone without missing church. You can pretty accurately track how spiritual you are, and having the right view or stance on something is far more important than having a relationship with another person. Being right is more important, and, and separation is very important. If there's someone who's not following the rules, you, you better not talk to them because their bad ruleness will rub off on you somehow. You must, you must separate. separate. Um, a friend, friendship with the world is enmity with God, and uh, you, in order to stay, keep God happy with you, you have to do the right things, go to the right places, say the right things, and stay away from those who don't go to the right places and say the right things. And, and, and by the way, if you lose your purity, it's game over. You sign those divorce papers, it's game over. You take that drink, it's game over. You lose your virginity, it's game over. You have that abortion, it's game over. And now all the other good Christians have to stay away and separate from you. Game over. Purity is the most important thing, and you can only lose purity one time, and you're branded. You ever, you ever been around someone like that, that or, or been in some kind of environment that was like that, where purity was the most important thing above all else? Well, if you were a first century devout Jew, what was taught to you by all the religious preachers of those days, they were called Pharisees or Sadducees or scribes, but what was most important and communicated to you if you were a devout Jew in the days of Jesus is that purity was the most important thing. And today we're going to read a story about a Jew who broke all the rules and didn't stay pure. He broke all of them and he made all of the religious teachers and preachers angry because he didn't follow any of the rules. And his name was Jesus. 
And we're going to read about a miracle that he performed. And, and here, here's, I'm going to give you a sneak peek, and then we'll get into it. The sneak peek is this, is that Jesus, in this first miracle, he's going to take this, this worldview, this, this system of thinking in which purity is the highest value, purity is the most important thing. He's going to take that, that way of viewing the world and, and flip it on its head completely. And he's going to say, we are completely done. I'm introducing something new, and that is old, that is done. Judaism is done, Christianity is in. The, 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 the old covenant, this agreement with God and with his people that you have to follow all the rules and I will bless you, you disobey all the rules and I will punish you. All, the, the, all 613 commandments in that old covenant, gone. And I'm introducing a new one. There's only two rules now. And if you break the two rules, somebody's actually already been punished in your place for your sins. I'm, I'm getting away with the old completely and introducing something completely new. And after 1,500 years of being in the Old Covenant, it was really hard for people to just let that go. <laughs> so that's what we're gonna learn today as we get into it, okay? So go ahead and open up to John chapter two, or you can read on the screens if you like. We are in John chapter two. And uh, like I said, we're gonna read about the first recorded miracle. I say the first recorded miracle because Jesus actually did another miracle before this. He was in his mid-30s and he had 11 best friends. And all the millennials said, Amen. Okay, that joke didn't go over quite as well as I thought it would. No, we're going to read about the, the miracle where he, he turned water into alcohol, which explains how he had 11 best friends. Okay, that one's a little better. I'll keep that one. I'll just I'll scratch the other one here. All right. Okay, so uh, John chapter 2, and look at verse 1. So on the third day, just based on what he's been saying, you know, day one this happened. So on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there. <coughs> Excuse me. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to this wedding. And when the wine was gone, that's a bad thing. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to, to, to him, they have no more wine. Now apparently Jesus' mother was maybe friends with the wedding party or she was somehow involved because she was one of the first to know that the wine was gone and she was you know, helping servants make sure people were entertained and had what they needed and you know, where's the wine? So, so she must have been involved. She goes to Jesus, the water is gone. Now if you've ever been to a wedding with an open bar, you know that it is very important that you don't run out of alcohol, right? This is, this is a very bad thing. And for us, weddings are a big deal. For them, weddings were a big deal. You know, weddings are, I don't know, a couple hours or, or something like that nowadays if you include the, the thing afterwards. In those days, it was seven days, seven days of feasting and festivities and seven days of an open bar. And if you run out of wine at one of those weddings, you're never going to live that one down, right? This, this, this was, we're out of wine. This was a, a major thing. Now what, now, what a lot of people did in those days is they would water down the wine, okay? And there's a couple reasons for this. For one, if you have to provide alcohol and wine for, for this huge gathering of people for seven days, you want the wine to stretch, but then also you don't want people getting wasted as well. So that's why you would water it down so the alcohol content was lower. Apparently, they've probably taken all these measures, but they still run out of wine. This is a major problem. Mary goes to Jesus. We've run out of wine. And this is what Jesus says in verse 4. Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? Now, time out for a second. When I first read this, I was raised in the South. And in the South, this is a good way to get backhanded by your mama. But I just want to let you know, Jesus is not being disrespectful. So, um, so in, in our language, we have all kinds of, of ways to, to refer to a woman, right? We have, well, we have woman, we have lady, uh, miss, uh, ma'am, uh, I can call my, my wife, my, my, my wife. In, in Koine Greek, in this language, there's one word, it's gune. And that's it, 
Okay, so ma'am is gune, lady is gune, this is my gune, my wife. It's, it's, it's all just one word. By the way, guys, if, if you're here with your girlfriend or your wife and you haven't landed on a good pet name, try gune. She might like it. Just, you can try it right now. Hey, how you doing, gune? You, you can try it right now. See how my wife doesn't like it. I don't know why. But so he's not being disrespectful. He's, he's referring to her as ma'am or, or, or miss. He is putting some separation. She came to him looking for a savior and he's addressing her as a savior, not, not her son. So that's why there seems to be a little coldness here, but it's not, he's not being disrespectful. Do not worry. He says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour, that, that hour in which I will die and, and raise again, in which everything will change. That my hour has not yet come. And his mother can tell that he's about to do something. And so she says to all the servants that she is somehow directing, <clears throat> do whatever he tells you to do. Now look at the next verse. Look at verse six. Nearby stood six stone water jars. And by the way, if you ever, if you were a Jew and you ever went to a Jewish wedding in this time period, in the first century, there would always be water jars around. Now you are a modern first century, or a 21st century, yeah, yeah, Westerner. So it's kind of hard for us to understand why there would be water jars around. But if you we're in this time period at a Jewish wedding, there would always be water jars around. Now, when you guys had your wedding, you probably spent a lot of money on the flowers and the pictures and that kind of thing. If you, if you, if you were married in this time period, you would have spent a lot of money and a lot of time picking out the water jars. The water jars were very important. I cannot stress to you how important the water jars are. And there's six of them and they're big and they hold 20 to 30 gallons of water each. The water jars, just hold on to that, are very important. And now we're pretty far removed from this time period, so it's hard for us to know why. That's why John tells us. He said, these were the kind used by the Jews, look at this, for ceremonial cleaning, for ceremonial washing, sorry is what it says. Now I wrestled with how how to communicate to us, how could I understand how important ceremonial washing was? And this is the best I can come up with. So here's a picture that has a lot of graphics in it that, that many of us are well accustomed to, even before COVID, all right? Even before COVID, sanitation is something that's very important for us. Never mind, maybe there's no graphic. It may, mine, I don't made it up, that's fine. So sanitation is very important, there it is, for us, even before COVID. So last time you went to a restaurant and you looked at the cooks, what were they wearing? They probably had masks, they probably had, even before 2019, they had gloves on. They, uh, before you sat down at your table, someone came with the special spray stuff and they sprayed the table, they wiped it all down. Uh, last time you went to a hotel, were the, were the sheets clean? I sure hope so, or it was a Motel 6 or something, I don't know, but, but probably the sheets were, were clean, all the towels were new, everything was swept. You go to the bank or something, they got the hand sanitizer. Again, 2019, this was the case, they got the hand sanitizer. Look, sanitation is super important to us. Somebody sneezes, you do this number, right? Germs are, they didn't, they didn't know about germs. Somebody gets sick, they might have a demon or something, we gotta do something here. But, but in, in those days, germs and sanitation was not an issue. Ceremonial cleansing, remaining ritually pure, that was very important. So this was the graphic that they would resonate with. Hopefully we can get this one up. It's this idea of making sure that we, we, we burn the incense in the right way and we cleanse ourselves in the right way. We're, we're all gonna wash our hands as we go into this wedding, not to get germs off because, what's a germ anyway? It's because... We want to be pure in the eyes of God. We want to make sure that we are ritually clean. Rich, we have gone through the rituals to make sure that we are pure in the eyes of God. This was very important. So here's a couple that's about to start their life together. They're about to start their new family. They're about to start their marriage. And they have to, it's very important that we have water jars there so they can be ritually clean. And look at what Jesus does. Back at the verse there, he, he talks to the servants and he tells them, fill up the jars with water and they fill them to the brim. And if you 
were a Jewish preacher in this day, you would have said, this guy gets it. Okay, we're out of wine. Not a big deal. The important thing is that we're all clean. The important thing is that we all have washed up. Fill the jars up. Let's wash our hands twice so this couple can start their marriage pure in the eyes of God. This, this, guy, this guy gets it. Kids, pay attention to him. This guy gets it. But if you know the rest of the story, you know that the water does not remain wine. He does something very different with it. Take a look at this. Oh, man, this had to tick the Jewish preachers off so much. Look at verse 8. Then he told them, now draw out some water and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet, the wedding coordinator, whatever you want to call him, he tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He turned the water into wine. And what Jesus did there in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. Now, I put signs in bold. I put it in yellow because the word sign is important. John doesn't call this a miracle. A miracle, here's the difference in a miracle and a sign. A miracle is something really cool and really impossible that somebody does for the sake of being really cool and really impossible. A sign is something really cool and really impossible, but not just for the sake of being really cool and really impossible. It's for the sake of pointing to something else more important. There's, there's some kind of image. There's, there, there's something happening that you should pay attention to. That was cool. That was impossible. But, but why did he do that? Why wine? Why water? Why is there no more water? Why didn't he do half the jars? You know, these are the kind of questions we should come to when we see a sign, not a miracle, but a sign. Jesus is pointing to something deeper. And here's what he's pointing to. All the water of the old covenant, all those rituals, all those rules that you have to follow to keep God happy, all of that is gone. There's no more water. Now, he could have turned three of the water jars into wine so that you have a little above. You, you, you could have mixed if that was the case. He could, have, he could have made new jars appear with full of wine or, hey, go, go out back and you're gonna magically discover more wine back there. He, he could have done that, but instead he took 150 gallons of water and turned it into 150 gallons of wine. Now, the important thing that you and I probably wouldn't notice, but a devout Jew would notice is there's no water left. How are we gonna wash our hands? Not for sanitary purposes, for ritual purity. He took all the water and turned it into all wine. The sign is this, the old covenant, gone. Ritual purity, gone. All the animal sacrifices, gone. All the food restrictions, gone. All the, you can't wear certain kinds of clothing, gone. All, all of the old, all of the laws that come up in the old covenant under Judaism is gone. And he is introducing something very new. The, the water of Judaism is being replaced, completely replaced, with the Judaism is being replaced wine of Christianity. And that old way of doing things is gone. And boy, people are understanding this. I want to show you another, I want to show you another verse. This, is, this comes from Mark. So there's a good quote. Thank you, Leon. Uh, Jesus changes the water of Judaism into the wine of Christianity. Here, here's, a, here's a verse from Mark chapter 7. So this is later on in Jesus' story. The Pharisees, those were the, the, the Jewish preachers of the day, they gathered around Jesus. And so did some of the teachers of the law. And they saw that some of his disciples were eating food with unclean hands. They had not washed their hands before they ate. Was this guy born in a barn? He was, but that's beside the point, okay? So they were eating food with unclean hands. They were not washed, not for germ's sake, for ceremonial ritual cleansing sake, right? And the Pharisees and the Jews do not eat unless they wash their hands to make them pure. Not clean, pure. That's what the elders teach. And when they come from the marketplace, they do not eat unless they wash or wash. 
and they follow many other teachings, all the other stuff in the Old Covenant and the laws that they stack on top of the Old Covenant. For example, they wash cups, they wash pitchers, they, they, they wash their kettles all in a special way. There's, there's a special ritual by, by which you have to do this because if you become unclean, this is a bad thing. You're gonna make God angry. Stay pure. Purity is the most important thing. And everywhere Jesus went, he like doesn't wash his hands and stuff. It drives him nuts. He heals a blind man. Well, great, but you didn't do it on the Sabbath day, did you? You're not supposed, the old, you're not supposed to do that. He heals, a, he heals a paralyzed man. Oh, great, I'm glad he can play hopscotch now, but um, you said you, can, you, you forgave his sins. You, you can't say that. You're not supposed to say that. Oh, he, healed, he, he fed 5,000 people with one kid's lunchbox. That's great, but did, did you wash his hands first because you're supposed to wash his hands? I mean, they got, they got hung up on this every time and they missed the whole point, right? Every single time they got mixed up. He, he convinces a shady tax collector to return all the money that he has swindled from other people well, I guess that's good, but, but you didn't eat with them, did you? Because you're not supposed to eat with people like that. They always got hung up on the purity stuff every time. Jesus doesn't follow some old covenant law and they, get, and they get hung up on that and they can't follow him because of that. And in this very first sign, Jesus is saying, I, I don't want you to get hung up on that because that is gone. Gone like a freight train, gone like yesterday. I am introducing something new. The water of Judaism, gone. Old covenant, Gone. I want to introduce you to the wine of Christianity, to the new covenant. You ever met somebody that was maybe, maybe like these, these, these Pharisees? They, maybe they were more concerned about purity than a person, more concerned about a view than a you. you ever, they just get hung up on those kind of things. Let's go back to verse 8. Let's go back to our story here. <clears throat> then Jesus told them in verse 8, <clears throat> now draw out uh, some and take it to the master of the banquet. And they did so. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. And he wasn't behind the scenes when Jesus did this, so he did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water, they, they did know. And then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink because you, know, you want people to have the watered down wine first, otherwise they'll get too intoxicated and the party will get out of hand. You bring them the, the, the good wine first and then you bring them the cheap wine so they don't continue to stay intoxicated and get sick and, and, and ruin the whole experience. But you have saved the best wine. I think that's a key part of this story. You saved the best wine. This is, this is the good wine. Jesus didn't give them the watered down stuff. Jesus made the good stuff. I'm talking the Merlot that like slaps your tongue, that dries your mouth out. It's got that, it's got that, it just kind of sucks it out of you and it's all the moisture out of your mouth. And after just a few sips, you can feel the buzz. I mean, this, is, this was the best, this was the best Malbec you've ever had. This was the good wine. And that's what this new covenant introduces to you. Now, let me just, let me just say something. If you've if, if, if you have drifted off at some point in this message, that's, that's fine. If you're, if you're on your phone doing the wordle for the day, that, that's fine. But let me just, just tune in for, for one second because I want you to hear one sentence, okay? This, if you forget everything else I said, that, that's, say today, that's okay. But remember this next sentence. Wine is so much better than water. And I know you thought you knew that, but you might not know it as well as you thought because we're so used to hearing about how important the water is, right? So important, the old covenant. It just rolls off our tongue. Well, the old covenant says that God's gonna judge the nation, so he's gonna judge America if we don't turn around. That's old covenant. God doesn't judge nations, <laughs> right? It, 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 we're, it, we're not under this covenant with God like that. It doesn't work like that anymore. The old covenant says to keep the Sabbath, so you better not work on a Sunday. That's, that's gone. The old covenant says that if I keep all the rules, then God's gonna bless me. So if I stay pure, God's gonna protect me. 
The old covenant says that if I break the rules, God will punish me. And so I, you know, I, I probably got sick or so, such and such happened because God was judging me or punishing me. The old covenant says that any nation who honors Israel will be blessed. So I better make sure that my country is giving money to Israel so that he will bless my country in some way. The old covenant says to tithe exactly 10% of my income, gross, not net. And so if, if you do that, though, God will give you more money at the end of it, right? That's the promise. The old covenant says that you have to worship God in a specific location in the temple. And so if we close these doors, if this building burns down, if we have to shut down because of a pandemic and not meet in this building, that's a major problem because worship happens in a place and a location. That's the old covenant. The old covenant says that our government has to follow the Bible in order for believers to thrive. So if we don't get these laws passed, if we don't get that politician into office, if we don't overturn this Supreme Court decision, then the church cannot thrive because our heavenly kingdom is based on the kingdoms of this earth in order to thrive, right? This has to happen. All of that is old covenant thinking. And Jesus is saying, guys, wine is so much better. We're done with that. There's no more water left. You can't mix it. There's no water left to mix this. There's no water left to clean your hands. It's all wine at this point. Here's someone who said it much better than I can. This is a book written by Stanley. I put a link in the sermon notes if you want to check out his book. He has the first two chapters free online, in fact. He says, Christianity has a compelling, verifiable, historical story to tell. But the moment we anchor our story to an old covenant, you get the prosperity gospel, you get the crusades, anti-Semitism, legalism, exclusivism, judgmentalism, 14th century Catholicism, don't touch God's anointedism, God will get him and all the other isms. Because we, we wanna do like all the other weddings and we wanna mix all the wine and the water together. And I know there's some weird laws in the old covenant about you know, the food you can't eat, but I, I like the capital punishment one, I'll keep that one. And I like, and we wanna pick and choose the ones from the old covenant we keep and do away with the old ones and it doesn't, it doesn't mix. And it tastes terrible. Jesus is saying the old covenant is gone. There's no water. There's only wine left. It's only the new covenant. And the old is done. And this, this, this is his first miracle as he launches into something very different and very new. Now, I, I want you to do something with me. I want you to just imagine yourself at this wedding. Imagine yourself in this scene. And I want you to just kind of look around the room or the wedding party or whatever. And, and where are you at in the story? Who, who do you most identify with in this story? Maybe you most identify with the disciples, all right? You were, you were raised in, in Jewish families that taught you to follow the laws of the old covenant and Jesus is introducing something new and you wanna mix the wine and the water together because you're so used to doing that and following all the rules and you know, all that stuff, but, but, but you like this and so you're, 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 just, you're just trying to mix and match and, and you don't know what to say about the old covenant, the Old Testament, but you're trying your best, right? You're just, you're just mixing them. What, what, so is, maybe that's you, you're like the disciples. You, you love this new thing, but <laughs> I don't know, the, my mama said the water, you know, you're, you're, you're confused with that. Maybe, maybe that's you. And maybe, maybe you most identify with, with the preachers, with those Pharisees who, uh, you know, you're, uh, man, I'm angry about our country and I can't believe we're in a post-Christian nation now. And we gotta, I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe you're on that side of thing where you really wanna hold on to the old covenant and you're kind of skeptical about this new way of living. There's only two rules, love God and love neighbor, that, but, but there's gonna be at least, I don't know, 10. Or there's, you're right, there's gotta be more rules to this, right? Maybe, maybe you're in that camp. Maybe you're one of the servants, Maybe you're intrigued by this miracle that Jesus has performed, turning water into wine, but you're kind of turned off by the angry preachers back there, and you don't, so I, I, I respect Jesus, but I don't know about the church, because they tend to, you know, they want me to buy into their politics and all that. I don't know about that, but, but I like the, maybe you're in that camp. 
Um, Steve, maybe you're just on the side enjoying the wine and you don't know what to think, right? So, so where, are you, where are you in this story? Where, who, do you, who do you most identify with in this story? Let me continue reading the, the rest of the story. Two more verses. Look at verse number 10, John 2, 10. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. <clears throat> but you have saved the best wine until now. And what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And look at what happens with the disciples. This is the moment where his disciples believed in him. They didn't believe in the temple. They didn't believe in the law. They didn't believe in their heritage. They didn't believe in their morality. They didn't believe in their purity. They didn't believe in their national pride. They ditched all that and they believed in Jesus alone. That is where John hopes that we land when we read this story. Old covenant, gone. I, I want to follow this guy. I want to follow that new covenant. And look, the, new te- the rest of the gospel is full of people who got hung up right here. And they couldn't follow Jesus because he touched lepers. You don't touch lepers. That's the old covenant. You don't touch lepers. And, and, that, and that was it. Couldn't follow him. He ate with sinners. You don't do that. Old covenant says you don't do that. You separate. I, I can't follow this guy. He heals on the Sabbath day. You can't do that. That's old covenant. You just, you can't, I, I can't follow this guy. He said the temple was going to be torn down. You can't tear down the temple. You can't say that. I can't follow this guy. He didn't wash his hands. He didn't wash his hands. I can't follow this guy. Over and over in the gospels, there are people who, when, when the water and the wine start getting mixed, or that, that, they're out. When the water disappears and it's all about the wine, they're out. Over and over, we see that. Let's not let that be us. Let's not get hung up on that. So once again, where are you at in the story? So maybe you're here today and, and you're not a big fan of church and, and churchy people because, you know, in order to be a Christian, I have to follow the rules and I got to embrace, I got to vote for, for that particular politician because everybody else is. I got to embrace the lingo of Christians and I don't really want to. If, if that's you, I, I just want to put you at ease. You don't have to do all that stuff. You, you don't have to embrace all the other stuff. Just you have to embrace Jesus. Let me just leave you with that and thank you for listening to this. Maybe you've never heard all this stuff before and you're, you're a little skeptical. Maybe, maybe you're, you're furrowing your brows. And I tell you, it took me several years to get beyond the way of thinking that I had in that college experience where purity is, it took me years to get over that. There were years where I wouldn't talk to people who went to other denominations of other churches because that was, that was, that was mixing our alliances or whatever. And it took me years to get past that. And I still have a long ways to go. So just, just stick with us. Maybe for the rest of you, you're not quite convinced. And I would encourage you to keep asking questions. And here, if, if embracing the wine of Christianity isn't enough reason to be done with the old covenant and embrace this new way of thinking, this new covenant, let me throw one more at you, and maybe this will be enough to convince you. <clears throat> we, I don't mean to sound alarmist, but we are at a critical moment in the American church right now, a critical moment in which we have, for the first time ever, an emerging adult population that is growing up, and they have always been in a post-Christian society. Now, I, I was born in a very Christian nation. You, you know, the, the culture kind of went around with what the, whatever, whatever church wanted. Culture kind of followed, and then it changed. We now have teenagers and 20-somethings growing up, and they've never experienced that. It's never they, they, the truly first post-Christian generation of people in America. Here's the good news. Studies show that many young adults have not turned their back on Jesus yet. They, they, they still have respect for Jesus and a willingness to follow. They're not quite sure about the church people. And here's the reason why. 
There's, there's probably a lot of reasons. Here's one of the reasons. It's because old people like me in their 30s and above, us older people, we're walking around with water jugs on our head and we're arguing about our water. We wanna bicker about faith and, and, uh, 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 faith and science. We wanna bicker about evangelical politics. Like we wanna bicker about the water. My water's better than yours and your water is mixed. And we just wanna bicker about the water stuff. And we have a generation of people who they don't want anything to do with that. And I don't blame them. <laughs> so if there's any reason for us to be done with the old covenant and to embrace this new that Jesus brings, do it for the teenagers and the 20-somethings of our country who haven't lost faith in Jesus, but they're beginning to deconstruct the churchy people like me. <laughs> Let's do it for them. Let's do it for them. One last verse here. John, I, I, I can't cut this out. This is so important. Look at this. I, I love this. Just a few chapters, just two chapters later, John 4, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to get some water. And if you're a Jew, everything is blinking. She's a Samaritan. She's a woman. We find out later that she's had multiple sexual partners. I mean, everything is blinking. This person is not pure. Don't talk to her. And look at this. She talks with Jesus. And look at John 4, 28. The end of the story. The woman, left, she left her water jars. She left him. They're heavy. Let's leave them. <laughs> They're heavy, and no one else wants to carry them either. Let's leave those. <clears throat> As we transition out, I want to bring us back to that passage that, uh, that Zach read earlier from Philippians. The, the elder team has called our church to a focused time of prayer, to 21 days of prayer, and then if you're able to, participate in the fasting of fasting as well. As, as, we, as we are entering a new year, and really a new season, you know, two years of COVID was kind of weird, and, and we're, we're in this new, this new moment of our church, and we wanna, we wanna start out this year with 21 days of prayer and fasting. So this is the second or third week, I forget which one and which we're in. And I want us to focus on this verse from Philippians 1.11. We, we, read, we read a few verses earlier, this is the last one. I want you to just meditate on this for a second while I, excuse me, while I read it. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. I'd like to pray that prayer over you, over our church, and over myself. And if you're physically able to, would, would you just stand with me? Would you just stand with me as I pray that prayer before before we leave the room today. <clears throat> Meditate on this verse here while I, while I pray. Father, I wanna pray for Hershey Free Church, the, my brothers and my sisters, <clears throat> right here in front of me and online. And I wanna pray that, that, that we would live this verse out, that, that we would be completely preoccupied with being filled with the fruit of our salvation. I wanna, I wanna pray that that your Holy Spirit will do something in our hearts that we can't just manufacture, we can't just make it happen and be better and try harder, but, but I pray that you would do a work in us where you would create the kind of character that Jesus Christ had within us and that you would make us into the kind of people, change us and transform us into the kind of people as a church body that would bring much glory and praise to God. Father, we pray this to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, amen. One final note, one, one culminating piece of this prayer focus is gonna be at the fountain this coming Saturday. So here's the, the times and everything gonna be right here um, this coming Saturday. So um, the elder team, if you can't make it, that we understand, but the elder team really wants to, to make it a priority if you can be here to come and pray with the rest of your church family. And with that said, before you leave, I just wanna remind you that 
You are not dismissed because the church is not a building that starts at a time and ends at a time. The church is a people. We are the church. And so you're not being dismissed. You're being sent. Hershey Free, you're being sent to consider the new that Jesus offers. You're being sent to pray that our church will be filled with the character of Christ. You are not dismissed, but you are sent. Thank you so much.